Section 54 of the History of Prostitution. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mina Anderson. The History of Prostitution by William Sanger. Section 54, Chapter 35. New York, Prostitutes and Houses of Prostitution. Part 2. Leaving the Germans of the first district, the reader's attention will now be asked to the brothels of the fourth police district. Here, the principal part of the women are of Irish parentage. Some few are natives of the United States. The greater part of the visitors are sailors. When a succession of storms which have driven homeward-bound vessels off the coast is followed by a fair wind, so as to allow them to enter the harbor in large numbers, these houses are crowded, and for a few days, or while the sailors' wages last, a very extensive business is carried on. The barroom, as in the case of the German houses, is the reception room, and here may be seen at almost any hour of the day a number of weather-beaten sailors, verifying the truth of the old proverb, which says they resemble two distinct animals in earning and spending their money it matters not who it may be but anyone who enters the room is almost sure to be asked to take a drink immediately and if he remains in less than five minutes somebody else will ask him to take another a sailor with cash in his pocket has a decided antipathy to drinking alone and generally invites everyone in the room male and female to partake with him by such a course he very soon gets intoxicated when the girl whom he has honored with his special attention convoys him to bed and leaves him there to sleep himself sober in these houses less neatness is observable than in those just noticed but they have entirely a different class of customers a german in the midst of his pleasures likes to see everything neat and orderly about him a sailor is not particular so that his pleasures are unobstructed. A curious observer, also, does not meet with the same civility. If he comes to spend money, he is welcome. If not, the landlord does not care about his company. Considerable card-playing is practiced, not what may be termed gambling, but for amusement, the stakes being seldom more than intoxicating drinks for the players. There is less noisy rowdyism than might be expected, since the men who generally cause such disturbances lack the courage to impose upon a crowd of hard-fisted sailors, who are always able and willing to take their own part and resent any interference. Still, occasional quarrels occur among the visitors themselves, frequently resulting in a pitched battle. The landlord is then called for, and his knowledge of his customers enables him speedily to discover the aggressor, who always happens to be the man that has the least money, and he is forthwith pushed into the street without any ceremony as a kind of peace-offering to the rest of the company. The landlord is a character in his way. He is a man who has been to see himself, for no one would be deemed fit to keep a house where sailors resort, and is usually a large, powerful man. By a Freemasonry of the craft, and by freely joining his visitors whenever they ask him to drink and occasionally treating them in return 
he is sure of their custom until their wages are all spent and they are obliged to go to sea again the women in these houses use liquor very freely but they are not permitted to get drunk in the daytime if the landlord observes any symptom of intoxication he gives them water instead of gin the next time they are asked to drink as he knows very well his prospects for business would be injured unless the girls were kept sufficiently sober to be on the watch for contingencies or as he phrases it to look out for chances in some of these houses it is the rule that all the money received by the girls is to be given to the landlord who provides them with clothing and necessaries but in others a fixed rate of board six or eight dollars a week is paid and the women retain the surplus in either case it is a very probable business particularly where many girls are kept in one house that we visited in the fourth district the keeper informed us that his expenses amounted to about one hundred and fifty dollars weekly and of course some estimate can be made from this as to the amount of business he transacted the dancing saloons in this neighborhood are not conducted on the platonic principles of the germans they are in fact so many accessories to prostitution and many scenes there witnessed will not permit description the women residing in the house are there dressed in the most tawdry finery they can command many of them assuming the bloomer costume the band consists of a violin a banjo and a tambourine and whatever is wanting in musical ability is adequately supplied by vigorous execution the bar is very liberally patronized and before midnight drunkenness is the rule and sobriety the exception passing now to the fourth grade of this vice we find prostitution in a most repulsive form the women themselves diseased and dirty the houses redolent of bad rum the prostitutes are the refuse of the other classes who have fallen through the successive gradations on account of disease and drunkenness or they are some of those children of iniquity who born in scenes of vice and squalid misery know nothing of a virtuous or happy course of life destiny seems from their birth to have intended them for vagrants and has planted them so low in the moral scale that they can scarcely hope to rise it would be useless to attempt a specification of the localities of these houses any one who has been through the purlieus of new york city must have observed some of them and it will be quite sufficient to glance at a few of their peculiarities they are generally kept by an old prostitute who gathers around her some of the most debased of her class takes a cheap basement wherever she can obtain possession of one suited to her purpose erects a small bar furnished with three or four bottles of the commonest liquor she can procure partitions off one or two small hovels of bedrooms and forthwith begins housekeeping her arrangements are about as extensive as her preparations she seldom professes to board the girls generally making a charge for every visitor they entertain and giving them the privilege of cooking anything they want these dens are largely patronized by the vilest of the male sex the petty thieves who hang around the public markets stealing from the wagons or who haunt the doors of grocery stores and abstract whatever they can reach 
as they find them convenient places of concealment and can frequently dispose of their booty by means of the women another class of visitors consists of the lowest order of rowdies who assume a free license to perpetuate any mischief they please because there is no one to interfere with them a fatal case of this nature which occurred but a few months since will be fresh in the recollection of all citizens it is dangerous for a stranger to enter a place of this description for if he does not get his pocket picked by the one he will most probably be assaulted by the other class of visitors upon such establishments the police are compelled to keep a watchful eye and although they have no power to enter them except some actual necessity calls for their service yet they frequently induce a neighbor to make a complaint against the keepers for maintaining a disorderly house and then duly armed with a warrant they enter and arrest every one found on the premises the finale of such an experiment at housekeeping as this is very frequently a commitment for vagrancy to blackwell's island the character of the place will be a sufficient proof that syphilis abounds there and its dangers must be added to those already enumerated the divisions thus made are presumed to be accurate as far as the distinctive characters of the various grades are concerned, but the lines of demarcation are of course arbitrary. Any attempt to classify so large a social evil must from its very nature be incomplete. And in this case farther experience or a more extended inquiry would very probably warrant an alteration in the arrangement. But there is another class of whom a few words must be said namely those truly wretched beings the outcasts of the outcasts in many cases destitute of home or shelter diseased starving and afflicted with an insatiable thirst for ardent spirits they present most ghastly and heart-rending spectacles retaining scarcely any vestiges of humanity these wretched beings can be found clustered round the bars of liquor stores in low neighborhoods, begging for the price of a glass of gin. Much of their time is spent in the prisons on Blackwell's Island, from which they are no sooner released than they return to their old haunts and habits. They can scarcely be called prostitutes, for their aspect is so disgustingly hideous that all feminine characteristics are blotted out, and thoroughly sensual and animalized must he be who could accept their favors. They are, in every sense of the word, outcasts, compelled for the short time they may be in the city, and this is seldom more than a few days at once, to eke out a wretched existence by stealing or begging, frequently so miserable that they gladly hail the day on which they are returned to prison. They present subjects for mournful consideration, and the reflection that they are experiencing the degradation to which every prostitute in the city is rapidly tending should be a powerful argument in favor of any remedial measures which can be devised to ameliorate the condition of the frail women of New York and prevent them from falling so far below humanity. Houses of Assignation Every resident of New York is aware of the existence of houses used especially as places for the meeting of the sexes 
with a view to illicit intercourse but so carefully have all particulars respecting them been concealed from the public gaze that very little more than this mere fact is generally known particularly with reference to those of a higher grade secrecy is necessary to their continuance and essential for the maintenance of the social position of their patrons the most exclusive are generally situated in the quietest and most respectable portion of the city they are fitted up neatly and even luxuriously but without any extravagant or gaudy display their arrangements of course do not require reception or sitting-rooms and the whole care bestowed upon them is lavished on the bedchambers the appointments of which contain every possible comfort and convenience the keepers of this class of houses are generally very shrewd quiet cautious women who never seek to penetrate into any engagements made by their visitors who never know any person that enters their house and from whom it is impossible to obtain information by any means in fact it has been said that the keepers and servants around these places have neither eyes ears nor tongues money is confessedly their object and as they receive liberal pay self-interest dictates quietness because if they adopted any other course their houses would inevitably become known to the public which would be an effectual barrier against visitors and result in an entire loss of their customers consequently if a liberal bribe could ever induce treachery their shrewdness enables them to discern that such an act would at once and forever close their establishment it will be readily understood that as the intrinsic value of these houses as places for meeting depends upon the secrecy and selectness with which they are operated in order to carry out this principle fully arrangements are made with much precision two parties are not allowed to meet casually in the halls or staircases the keeper maintains a strict watch in order that ingress and egress may be free and uninterrupted and there can be little doubt that the desire to make money on her side and the fascination of illicit passion on the part of her visitor conjointly tend to ensure more actual secrecy than could be obtained by any system of oaths or discipline in some of the most exclusive the system is carried to such an extreme that no accommodation will be afforded to parties unless the gentleman has been previously introduced to the proprietress and his character for secrecy and integrity vouched for by some person with whom she is acquainted this rule is adopted to prevent the possibility of the house becoming known as a place of assignation to any one who might use his knowledge to the prejudice of the keeper or her visitors no public women reside in these houses nor would they be admitted under any pretext as such a course would attract attention and defeat the purpose contemplated many of them are open for months without the knowledge of the neighbors or the police of the district as visitors very rarely enter or leave together and to prevent any delay the outer door is generally kept unlocked so that persons pass immediately into the hall where a second door with a bell attached is generally found 
The business of these houses is done mainly during the prominent hours of Broadway, say from 11 to 12 to 4 or 5 o'clock. The visitors are confined to the upper walks of life, the men being of all sorts of business, and the women exclusively from our fashionable society. If the mysterious personal advertisements in the daily papers could be understood by the outside world, it would be seen that appointments are not unfrequently made through their agency. Arrangements for a meeting are generally made with the keepers in advance, and at the designated time the parties arrive from different directions and proceed direct to the room which has been already selected. If they wish it, they can obtain wine or refreshments by ringing a bell in their apartment. A majority of the females who visit these places can scarcely be called prostitutes, notwithstanding their undeniable fall from virtue. They sin, but with one individual, and that, in many cases, from positive affection, and in others from the desire of sexual gratification. Whatever may be the motive, it does not concern the keeper of the house, whose only business is to receive the rent of her room, which ranges from two or three dollars upward to any amount that policy or the desire to ensure secrecy may dictate. Doubtless, very few of the visitors regard money in their negotiations. Females are very frequently closely veiled when they enter the house so that their features cannot be recognized, as has been illustrated in trials for divorce in this city, especially if the prior arrangements for the meeting have been made by the gentleman. If, on the other hand, the lady takes the preliminary steps, she can scarcely be unknown to the proprietress, in whose keeping she consequently places her character. The unsuspecting moral men of New York will scarcely credit these facts, but men of the world know that such meetings and places for meeting are not uncommon. It may be objected that the exposure of these mysteries imparts information which may lead the uninitiated into similar practices. It is believed that the information here given is not sufficiently definite for this end, and certainly nothing could be farther from the design of this work than to aid an immoral purpose. But it is a duty to record the general facts, in order that our citizens may be aware of the dangers that abound on every side, and particularly is it necessary because many of the female visitors are married women who take advantage of the absence of their husbands at business a question will arise who are the women that keep these houses that they cannot have lived as common prostitutes or been the keepers of houses of prostitution is evident in the first place the acquaintances they would have made in either of those avocations would preclude the possibility of their maintaining the inviolable secrecy necessary in a house of assignation. And again, no female would enter a place of this description, the keeper of which would be likely to betray her. It is apprehended that some of these houses originate in the following manner. In fact, we know of more than one that did commence so. A female engages in an intrigue which she cannot carry out at her own residence, and desiring a place of security for her meetings, has an acquaintance with some shrewd woman, possibly one who works for her as seamstress 
or in some other capacity, whom she makes partially a confidant. She tells her that she is desirous of seeing a gentleman, whom, for some particular reason, she cannot invite to her house, and asks if she will accommodate her with a room in which the interview can take place. It is not likely that a person who felt under any obligation to her employer would refuse such a request, especially for so simple a purpose as a short conversation. The meeting accordingly takes place, and a handsome present is made her. It is frequently repeated until she becomes suspicious and finally satisfied that these interviews are for the purpose of sexual intercourse. By this time, it has become a question of policy with her. She argues that if she refuses to extend any future accommodation, she will lose not only a considerable income from the presence, but also all employment from the lady. She knows that by allowing such meetings she realizes considerably more than she can procure by her daily labor, and self-interest is generally strong enough to overcome her scruples. She goes on extending her accommodations and enlarging the circle of her visitors until she becomes mistress of a select house of assignation, which will be always liberally patronized so long as her power of maintaining the requisite secrecy remains unimpeached. Some of these women are from distant cities, entire strangers in New York, except to their immediate customers. If they are widows who have children, these are invariably educated away from the house. From the privacy observed, it is very difficult to estimate their receipts, which must be large. They sometimes degenerate into keepers of houses of public prostitution and then become dangerous members of society on account of the secrets which have been entrusted to them probably some of our ultra fashionable citizens might be enabled to give more particulars of these houses than are here collected what has been stated is gathered from authentic sources and may command implicit belief Indeed, so trustworthy is the authority that it may be confidently asserted that even Fifth Avenue and Union Square are not exempt from these resorts. Such houses must be regarded as the connecting link between the licentious excesses of the capitals of Europe and this city of the New World. They are dangerous from their secrecy and exclusiveness. As yet they are rare, and it speaks well for the morals of our upper classes that they are so. It shows that the majority of people in the higher walks of life are untainted. But the course of deterioration has commenced. Will not American good sense and American morality check this base imitation of a foreign custom? The recently avowed sentiments, or rather the resuscitation of sentiments, which were proclaimed years ago respecting the obligations of marriage and the theory of free love, have doubtless increased. The patrons of houses of assignation among our fashionable novel-reading people, or weak romantic heads made giddy by the sudden acquisition of wealth. For the last fifteen years, a loose code of morals has been promulgated among us, the foreign apostles of which, many of them pretending to nobility, but being in truth mere adventurers, have visited us, and by them and through their influence 
many intrigues have originated. A spice of romance in the American character has induced many to join this movement in search of adventure, while a portion of our female society are ardent admirers of everything foreign, be it a lord or a lace veil, and these delights in an intrigue because it is an exotic. The facilities of communication with Europe are now so great that American travel on that continent is largely on the increase, and perhaps there are at this time in the cities of continental Europe more representatives of our society than of any other nation. Many of our people go there with the laudable desire to improve their minds by general culture, or for the study of particular branches of science or art, but it is to be regretted that some come back to our shores with ideas calculated to be anything but beneficial to their native country in a social or moral point of view. The sons of our staid and solid men go to the capital of the French Empire to study medicine. Apart from the impropriety of this course, when there are the same facilities for study here, where a few seconds of lightning intercourse will place them in immediate communication with their friends, instead of their being separated four thousand miles from parents and guardians, does the end justify the means? What course do these young men frequently pursue? Unable to speak the language intelligibly, they resort to the acquaintance of a grisette in order to study in her company. The language they acquire by this means is, at best, a vulgar patois, but they also obtain a knowledge of intrigue entirely incompatible with the simplicity and purity of our republican institutions, a species of male and female diplomacy foreign to the character of our people. Young ladies, too, when they return from a foreign tour, are more fascinated with the charms and successes of the favored mistress of some European prince or potentate then benefited by the useful solid lessons of travel. With them, as with the others, it is all superficiality. Superficial when they started, superficial while traveling, they are still more superficial when they return. There are always weak-minded people in this country who will ape foreign manners, and to this cause must be assigned the gradual approximation of our fashionable society to the vices of the European capitals, their ladylike and gentlemanlike frailties, their genteel peccadilloes and affectations. The effects of foreign travel upon such persons cannot be but injurious. It demands a clear head and a sound heart to decide between the vicious frivolities and the positive good submitted to their notice. And with the class mentioned, it requires but little judgment to know which will first attract them. They must see Lord A or Count B, no matter what valuable opportunities for instruction they miss. They must become au fait in the observances of courts and the manners of courtiers, no matter what else they leave undone. As remedial measures for another evil, are elsewhere spoken of, this may be an appropriate place to suggest for profound consideration whether it would not be a wise policy to adopt some preventative system for this evil. We might establish 
uh, phrenological and psychological bureau armed with full powers to examine all persons desiring to travel so as to ascertain whether they may safely make the grand tour and have sufficient strength of intellect and firmness of principle to resist the vitiating influences and examples which will surround them there so that they may return only with the knowledge of the good and valuable lessons taught but the evils of foreign manners and customs are not imported solely by the traveling class of our own community the political turmoils of europe in the last eight or ten years have thrown among us numerous refugees who have been reared in the hot beds of intrigue and who styling themselves artistes depend upon our unexampled prosperity the increase of our wealth the improvement of our country and our known predilections for foreigners to enable them to make a living and also to establish the same state of morals and manners existing in the cities whence they came the united states are now the great harvest field for art which with science music and poetry aids to improve the mind at the same time these bring with them an excessive devotion to fashion both in dress and manners as the low-necked dress and the lascivious waltz which are so decidedly positive degenerations from our normal state that none but the most superficial will ever copy that we are rapidly introducing many of the most absurd follies and worst vices of europe is a patent fact almost every one can specify acts now tolerated in respectable families which so far from being permitted fifteen years ago would have been thought by our own plain common-sense parents amply sufficient to warrant the exclusion of the offender from the domestic circle and it is an equally conspicuous fact that our social morality is deteriorating in a direct ratio to the introduction of these habits every day makes the system of new york more like that of the most depraved capitals of continental europe and it remains for the good innate sense of the bulk of the american people to say how much farther we shall proceed in this frivolous intriguing and despicable manner of living or whether they will not strive to perpetuate the stern morality of the puritan fathers our great moral safeguard so far and thus put an effectual barrier against the inroads of a torrent which must undermine our whole social fabric and finally crush us beneath the ruins the second class of assignation houses are to a great extent private but not so rigidly exclusive as the others their furniture is of the same luxurious style but of a more gaudy character generally the same routine is observed in regard to entrance as in those of the first class the principal portion of the females who resort to them are married women most of whom are from the upper classes whose sexual passions are not gratified elsewhere or who resort to this means to obtain more money to expend in dress kept mistresses residing with their lovers as husband and wife in motels or boarding-houses whose attachment is not strong enough to keep them faithful to one man occasionally the best class of serving women or shop women or females whose occupations such as milliners artificial florists etc 
lead them into contact with the fashionable classes. It is told on good authority that there are husbands cognizant of the fact that their wives visit such places and who live wholly or in part upon money earned in this way. These cases are not supposed to be numerous, but it is to be hoped, for the credit of our national character, that the number will become still smaller. A few prostitutes of the upper grades sometimes visit this class of houses. They are known to the keeper, and she encourages them for the following reason. An habitué of the place will make an appointment to visit it at a specified time, and he tells the keeper he would wish to meet a female there. At the appointed day his wishes are gratified, the keeper having acted as negotiator with one of the girls mentioned. More wine is consumed in these houses than in the strictly select ones, probably from the different class who frequent them. The third-class houses of assignation are not situated in such select parts of the city as are the other two classes. Some of them are managed with much privacy and seclusion, while others are simply houses of public prostitution on a large scale. Their principal female patrons are those prostitutes who have rebelled against the exorbitant charges made by the keepers of fashionable houses, and shop girls who resort to prostitution to augment their income. Many of these live some distance uptown, and any one who is journeying downward in the after part of the day may see numbers of them going to these places in the cars and stages. This is another imitation of French and English systems. Very little disguise is attempted about these third-class houses. Each has a parlor or reception room where a man can have a bottle of wine, and one or two of the girls named will join him. Of course, many couples visit there, but a large number of men go alone, knowing that there are always women in the house. Fast young men about town are in the habit of keeping their mistresses at these houses as more economical than boarding with them at hotels. Considerable disease is propagated in such places, a contingency from which the first and second classes are almost entirely exempt. Business is generally over here in three or four hours, commencing in the dusk of the evening, but it is unquestionably a source of considerable revenue to the keeper, particularly in those cases where she acts as procuress, since in addition to the rent of the room which the man pays, she always receives a present from the woman. There is another or fourth class of assignation houses to which the commonest portion of street-walkers take their company, and these may be emphatically described by an old saying, cheap and nasty. Dirty and insufficient accommodations are the equivalent for low prices, and such places are, in the general estimation of connoisseurs, very low and despicable. Notwithstanding this, they thrive and multiply from which it may safely be inferred that they are profitable in a business point of view, repulsive as they may be in their features and arrangements. Some of them are ingeniously arranged with a view to robbery, and are called panel houses. The plan adopted is somewhat as follows. Some man, generally a countryman, not very well informed in the tricks of the metropolis, meets with a prostitute, and agrees to accompany her to an assignation house. 
she is in league with the panel thieves and therefore introduces her victim to one of their rooms the apartment seldom contains more furniture than a bed and a chair or lounge with the floor covered with a thick carpet to make assurance doubly sure the man himself locks the door by which he enters and when undressing naturally throws his clothes upon the chair or lounge the bedstead is placed so that the feet come toward the only apparent door in the room with one side against the wall and the head and the other side hung with curtains which the woman carefully draws as soon as the man lies down by her side at the head of the bed and of course concealed by the drapery from any one occupying it is another door which forms the secret entrance it is so adroitly arranged and so neatly covered with paper the same as the walls that no one would suspect its existence the hinges and fastening on the outside are oiled so that no noise can be perceived when it is opened and the operator steals with cat-like step over the carpet and quietly examines the clothes without alarming the unsuspecting stranger the thief completes his inspection appropriates as much as he thinks proper and the temporary occupant of the apartment resumes his clothes and prepares to leave if his suspicions are excited by the circumstance that his wallet looks less plethoric than it did and an examination reveals that some of its contents are missing he knows not how to account for it he is perfectly certain that no one has entered that room while he was there and if he has visited much before meeting the girl he concludes that he must have lost some of his money in his career and that the only way is to take the loss contentedly and avoid new york fascinations in the future sometimes the loser has not enough philosophy for this and if he can be certain that his money was right when he entered the room will call the police and thus expose the secret arrangements of the establishment this is comparatively a rare case as most men would rather submit to a pecuniary loss than encounter the trouble and exposure attending a criminal prosecution and the knowledge of this reluctance enables the panel thieves to pursue their operations almost with impunity end of fifty four recording by mina anderson